This is Canvas, a show about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and this week I'm running the show solo because Federico is very, very busy with the imminent introduction of iOS 11. He is working double overtime on his review that I'm sure we're all really looking forward to when it comes out. Uh, Federico has done a great job with reviewing iOS over the years, and I'm really looking forward to his take on iOS 11 as well. So Federico is heads down, typing like a crazy person on the iPad tonight. So I'm going to run the show solo tonight. Uh, and tonight, as you know, uh, Apple has just announced the release date for iOS 11. It's just around the corner. By the time you listen to this, we'll only be a few days away from iOS 11. And I thought what we would do tonight is we would have a think about and a discussion about getting ready for iOS 11. So what what do, what do you do as somebody who depends on an iPad for productivity when a major iOS release is around the corner? And in particular, a couple of the things around that are mostly to do with things like storage management and planning for the upgrade and thinking about what uh, what could possibly happen, what could go wrong if the upgrade doesn't really work very well. Uh, although I have to say, to be honest with you, it has been a long number of years since there has been an iOS upgrade that really, really gave me any difficulty in, in particular. Now, as many of you will know, I, I run a, a, a one-to-one iPad school. Uh, so I have quite a lot of experience of upgrading many, many devices, hundred, multiple uh, tens, up to the hundreds of devices to major OS releases. And the last one that really gave us a big problem was iOS 8. I think yeah, we had a, a slightly tricky time just with the, the in the early days of the way we were uh, setting up our school iPads back in those days. But in recent years, iOS 9, iOS 10, there has been, it's been absolutely plain sailing. So I don't want you to take this episode as a warning that there's something wrong with iOS 11. There's not, as far as I know. Um, and there's not, in general, a risk for iOS updates, even uh, even major version updates like 10 to 11, and certainly not for minor updates. You know, the risk is, in many ways, not updating your device, because quite often these small releases and the big releases bring along software updates that improve security, close down loopholes, fix vulnerabilities that could leave your device and your data at risk. So in some ways, the risky part is not updating your device rather than actually updating it. But before we get into thinking about uh, updating the operating system in particular, I thought we would spend some time just talking about storage management in iOS because in many ways, that is one of the reasons why people can't update or they sometimes find difficulty updating is because their device has run out of space. Because, you're, I mean, maybe you're using a, a small device. You know, there are certainly plenty of... Um, 8 and 16 gigabyte iOS devices still around, and even 32 gigabyte devices, if you've used them you know, in a professional kind of capacity, those can get quite full. We use 32 gig- gigabyte iPads in our school, and what we often find is that um, at any one time, 10 to 15 to 20% of the school are running above 80% storage capacity on a 32 gigabyte device. And these, these are young people you know, who, who use it for schoolwork. It's not, they're not professionals in that sense, but they still... Uh, can create enough and of course with you know 12 megapixel cameras on the latest iPads now it's becoming ever easier to fill up that on-device storage so first of all you know a couple of things to think about in terms of storage management and the way I I was describing this to a friend yesterday we were debating whether the the 64 gigabyte iPhone 8 plus or the the 256 gigabyte model was the right one for us and he said oh yeah I I I always clear out my religiously you know uh delete apps I'm not using and I offload photographs I'm not using. And I said, you know, why do you do that? Because you spent all that money on all that storage and you're doing your best to keep it empty. You know, 
you're effectively wasting money at that point. Storage is there to be filled up with stuff is always kind of my view. And it's, it's not that I gratuitously cram my device till it's non-functional, but I I feel very free to use up my storage. I don't try and keep, you know, 50% free or anything like that. I would say on, on in general, you know, 10 to 15% free is a good minimum to try and keep uh, just because of some of the ways that some of the uh, internal software work when you're in a low storage situation. But in general, my, my motto is empty storage is wasted money. Although, having said that, if you are going to be offline for a long time uh, and you're say you're taking a trip, you want to have a lot of empty storage because you're going to fill that with photographs on your holiday. So it just depends what you're trying to do. But in general, steady state operation, unless you're unless you're going to see Bigfoot or something in front of you at that point, uh, using up your storage for things that are important to you is often quite a good way to do it. And I, I certainly don't spend any time in, in my normal working life thinking about which app should I delete today or how can I keep my how can I keep my device at the bare minimum amount of stuff. You know, I, I do personally use a 256 gig iPhone 7 Plus and to be honest I, I have quite honestly wasted money on that I think I, I could certainly easily have fit into a 128 gig model and 64 gigabyte maybe but I tend to run between 60 and 75 gigabytes of stuff on my 256 gig phone so the only time that I really burst significantly beyond that is when I'm traveling for example and I'll cache some media from a Plex server, some downloads from Netflix or Amazon Prime Video or whatever for a flight or something like that. So uh, that's that's often my approach, but having that spare space is useful, but it's there to be used. It's not there to be religiously kept free. So empty storage is wasted money is kind of point number one for me. And secondly, the other phrase I like to use to try and explain to people about iOS storage management is trust the algorithms iOS does actually know when the device is running low in storage or what we would sometimes say the device is under storage pressure in that data is coming in and there's not going to be enough space to store all the data at the rate it's coming in. So what developers of iOS apps can do is they can um, they can mark data that their device that they're sorry that their app makes as being temporary or cache data and then Whenever iOS detects that the device is under storage pressure, those temporary and cached files can be purged by the operating system, like forcibly deleted, and that will free up space for whatever the user is trying to do at that point. So that's something to bear in mind that, you know, <clears throat> just because the, the used capacity of your device is getting high, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be faced with a situation where imminently you're going to be, have to stop using your device because there's no more space. There are things the operating system can do to try and reclaim a certain amount of space. Now, the way that we've many of us have bumped into storage limits on our devices is by trying to take a lot of pictures and you've run out of space for pictures. The challenging thing with that is that pictures are not purgeable data. You take a picture, you do not want iOS to be deleting that. So obviously, uh, pictures are some of the largest individual files that we'll have outside of movies on our devices. And... They're precious and they've not to be deleted. So as you're, you know, on holiday, on a day out, taking photograph after photograph after photograph, you're filling up your device with unpurgeable data. But many apps will create purgeable data and we'll talk about some of the apps that might have situations like that. And the operating system can deal with that for you. 
The thing that for me that has unlocked a lot of kind of relaxation around this question is actually iCloud Photo Library, which is Apple's photo management syncing system, whereby as part of your iCloud quota, the photos that you have on your devices can be uploaded to the cloud and synced between devices on the same Apple ID. That's the obvious part of what iCloud Photo Library does, but it's not the only part because when iCloud Photo Library is turned on and the device comes under storage pressure, what will happen is the original photographs that you've taken with your phone and that have been safely synced to the cloud, well, they will become marked as purgeable, right? So those large files, those two to five megabyte photograph files will be marked as purgeable. And when the system needs space back, it can actually say to iCloud Photo Library, look, all these originals you've got, let's get rid of them to, to conserve space. So iCloud Photo Library is a, is a very, very powerful tool, particularly if you have a, a device that's on the smaller side. Now, I mentioned earlier that my iPhone 7 Plus is a 256 gig model. On that device, I have something like 32,000 photos in iCloud Photo Library. I know it's a big one. And of that, about 32 gigabytes, which is nothing like the full size of that collection, is being used on my device for iCloud Photo Library. So that'll be things like the originals of photographs I've recently shot, um, photographs I've recently looked at in full screen, so it's downloaded a high resolution version, all of that kind of stuff. But say I was to fill up my device with cached movies, maybe I, I, I cached the whole of the West Wing or something from my Plex server. Um, some of that, some of those original photographs would be deleted from my phone. They wouldn't, I mean, the, the actual record of the image would still be there, but the original would be in the cloud and I would have to retrieve it if I wanted to look at it in full resolution again. So iCloud Photo Library, I personally would highly recommend it for anybody who is um, using devices on the smaller side and is constantly running out of storage because of large photo collections. Turning on iCloud Photo Library and paying a small amount for a slightly larger iCloud um, quota, I think is a, a very simple way to solve probably the largest problem for the vast majority of people on iOS. So iCloud Photo Library is, is highly to be commended to, for most people. Another bit of theory, okay, so you've got empty storage is wasted money, you've got trusty algorithms. A third bit of theory, that's, this is not really obvious because it's not really shown to you anywhere on iOS, but if you're a, a, a beginning to intermediate iOS user, you might not be aware of a concept called the App Sandbox, which is a security feature and an organization feature on iOS where every app has its own sandbox. And a sandbox is basically just a folder that that app has exclusive access to and no other app can access directly. So for example, if you run OmniFocus, it has a folder with your OmniFocus database and your preferences and so on. And I can't open up Apple Notes and then go and look at what's inside my OmniFocus folder. That's not how the security model works in iOS. So apps kind of have free reign in their own sandbox, but they have to stay in the sandbox. And this can sometimes lead to a little bit of confusion as to what is is eating your storage because you can be in one of two situations. You can either have a large application with a small sandbox attached to it, or you can have a large application with a small sandbox attached to it. Now, an example of a big app with a small sandbox would be something like a game where a modern iOS game might well be over a gigabyte in size. You think of a game like FIFA, or um, uh, I recently downloaded the uh, Grim Fandango remastered game, which is a game that I remember fondly from years ago. Those games are huge. The Grim Fandango game, I think, is over three gigabytes in size, just in terms of the download from the App Store. Now, 
when you play a game, you don't tend to create a lot of data as you play. Maybe you'll make some save files, some temporary information files and so on, but you're not, you're not creating multiple gigabytes more data just by playing the game. So a game would be an example of a, a large app with a small sandbox. And an app, example of an app, a small app with a large sandbox would be an app like Procreate. Now Procreate is a, a drawing and painting application for iOS, a real pro level application, absolutely wonderful application. And Procreate, the app that you would download from the App Store is only just over hundred megabytes in size. It's not a large application itself. But as you make more and more and more drawings, what you will find is that the sandbox, the user data, the stuff you have made inside Procreate can grow larger and larger and larger. I have this situation personally with Keynote. I use Keynote a lot for teaching and presenting and consulting. And my Keynote folder is huge. You know, it's five, six, seven hundred megabytes. Now, Keynote itself is quite a big app as well. But my sandbox for Keynote is quite large. So you can have large apps and small sandboxes or small apps and large sandboxes. Sometimes you can have a large app and a large sandbox, and that's um, that's a different matter again. But regardless, the only way to really solve that problem is to delete the application from your phone. Because as you know, when you try and delete an application from your device, what will happen is iOS will say, deleting this app will delete all its data. Are you sure you want to continue? There's a slight modification on that language if the app uses iCloud, and for example, Keynote, it'll say, Deleting this app will delete it from your device, but the data stored in iCloud will remain in your account. Do you want to proceed? But if you delete an app, uh, the sandbox is deleted along with the app. So that's why one of the great strengths of iOS, I think this is something that's so underappreciated in iOS, is what a, a clean and safe model iOS has for installing and deleting third-party software. And I think that's that's what the app, the app revolution is built on, is the fact that if you remember back to the days of PCs and Macs, to be fair, installing third-party software was a great opportunity to destroy your computer in a way that you could never recover from. And that was the experience of Windows, and, and sometimes it was the experience on the Mac as well. But that has never happened to any iOS user, and there are billions of them there. And one of the reasons for that is because everything an app can do to your device is contained within the app in the sandbox. And even today in a world where apps can deliver things like keyboards and share sheet extensions and widgets and all of these things, all of that is still contained within your app sandbox and it's just accessed by different parts of iOS. So when you delete an application, you get rid of the application download that you got from the store and unless the app is using iCloud, you get rid of all the app's data as well. Now, if you do delete an app that uses iCloud, say, such as Keynote or Pages, you'll still recover that storage space from your device because the locally cached versions of the iCloud files will also be gone, but you'll still be able to get them back because they're in your account as well. So regardless of whether you're in the large app, small sandbox situation or the small app, large sandbox situation, under iOS 10, the only way to deal with that is to delete the application. That's the only remedy you have for that problem iOS 11, on the other hand, which is just coming out, so this this new technique won't help you for installing iOS 11, but it might help you after you have done so. iOS 11 introduces a new solution to part of this problem, which is called app offloading. And what offloading does is it basically enables you to remove the app download from your device, but keep the sandbox on your device. 
This can be enabled to run automatically or you can do it manually in settings if you want to offload one particular app. Now this will mainly help the situation where you have a large app, small sandbox problem, i.e. games. Now we know that in the iOS ecosystem, games are a huge part of most people's use of their device. So if you imagine that you're a game addict and you've got three, four, five, six multiple gigabyte games on your device, then being iOS being allowed to offload those games will dramatically help the storage because automatic offloading also takes into account how recently you used an app. So if you've had a game sitting there for two years that you've not played and it's eaten three gigabytes of your disk space, then that's a strong candidate for being offloaded. So it's a little bit different, the behavior of offloading than the behavior of deleting an app. If you delete an app, the files are gone uh, and you have to go back to the app store and re-download that app to get it back on your device. With offloading, what happens is the app download is removed, but the app still appears to be installed on your device. So if you look at the app's icon on the home screen after it's been offloaded, what you'll see is that the icon is slightly grayed out and it has a small cloud-shaped icon with a download arrow, the same icon you see in the app store uh, when you want to re-download something from either Apple Music or, or from the app store itself. If you go ahead and tap that application, what will happen is iOS will begin a re-download of the application binary and then reinstall the app and then it will reconnect with your data and you're back up and running. So that's the way offloading works. It's not going to help you get to iOS 11 if you're really under storage pressure, but once you get to iOS 11, it's going to be a slightly interesting and different way to manage your applications. Now, automatic offloading might be a very bad idea for you if, for example, you are on a metered or an expensive or slow internet connection. Uh, and it's something that I had a, a couple of concerns with in in, with relationship to deploying iOS in school, because if you think about it, there are two or three apps that we use quite often in school, such as iMovie and GarageBand, which are not frequently used in the school. But let's say, you know, it's Friday afternoon and we want to do something in GarageBand. Oh, and because we haven't used it in two weeks and it's 1.6 gigabytes, GarageBand has been offloaded from everybody's iPad. So Apple have put in some things in place for school-managed iPads where app offloading basically is disabled. But for consumer devices running normal Apple IDs, uh, it won't be enabled by default as far as I can tell, but you could go into settings and you could turn on app offloading if you felt that that was going to be something that was useful to you. And you have enough bandwidth so that it's not going to be painful if you have to trigger a reinstall of an application. Because remember, offloading is going to be, it's going to be the big applications that get offloaded first to save the most space. So big and rarely used applications are going to be the big candidates for offloading there. So bear in mind offloading, it's going to be something that's going to be quite a big deal in iOS 11. So if you are under storage pressure, what do you do about it? Well, iOS for a long time has, has provided you features that will let you find out what's using the most storage. And as with all things to do with size and performance, the trick is you deal with the biggest chunk first. So what you do is you go into settings, general and storage. And in, in there, iOS will give you a, a descending ordered list of what's using up your storage. And I bet you that in the top two items is going to be camera and photos. And in there will be all the photos and all the videos you've shot. Now, 
if you are an iCloud Photo Library user, don't panic about that number because, as I said before, iCloud Photo Library can reclaim a lot of that space if your device is under storage pressure. However, you'll find in there other applications that may be somewhat surprisingly large. You know, if you download a lot on Wi-Fi, for example, you might not notice that uh, the app you just downloaded was 600 megabytes, let's say. Um, and you know, you install two or three of them and you start getting to quite a chunky size. It, it's been one of my kind of, not issues, but something that's just been kind of notable over the years of iOS, that Apple's pre-installed applications for iOS really add up to quite a large amount of data. You know, if you, if you add together... Uh, GarageBand, iMovie, Pages, Keynote, and Numbers, and iBooks, and iTunes U, and you know whatever else they, they pre-install podcasts and so on. That can actually eat up quite a lot of your device space. And for a while there, Apple were providing those applications pre-installed on iOS devices, but only over a certain size. I think it was you had to at least be buying a 32 gigabyte device or more. Um, because on those smaller devices, that that data set or that application set consumed so much of the built-in storage that you you bought a device and you were almost immediately out of storage. You know, it was it was taking up like maybe eight or twelve gigabytes of a sixteen gigabyte device. So always look for the biggest thing first. Don't worry if you've got iCloud Photo Library turned on, but if you don't or can't don't want to or can't turn on iCloud Photo Library, you get a couple of other options. One is you could, of course, install Google Photos and use that service instead. But if you're really, really, really in a pinch, if, you, if you've if you got either maybe an old device or you don't want to use iCloud Photo Library for whatever reason, you can always connect your iPad or your iPhone to a Mac and use the image capture application on the Mac to just uh, download and then delete by clicking a button on the Mac all the photos on your iOS device. So that's a, a quick way to do it. Essentially, Image capture is Apple's uh, legacy application for capturing photos from a video uh, a video or a still photography camera that you connect to a Mac. And basically the iOS device appears like a camera in that application and you can manipulate its, its photo storage in the same way. So that's, that's my kind of go-to emergency. If somebody presents to me a device that is sufficiently old that I can't turn on iCloud Photo Library and sufficiently full that I can't update it so that I can turn on iCloud Photo Library. I, I faced this exact situation with a colleague a couple of years ago where uh, she had a an iPhone 4, I think it was, which would, was stuck on some minor variant of iOS 7 and it couldn't go any further. And it was an 8 gigabyte device and it was full of photographs that were quite precious. So I, I was trying to migrate her to a new device but I couldn't do I couldn't turn on iCloud photo library because the software was too old so I had to my escape valve was to basically download all her photos onto my my computer at work using image capture and then set her up on a new device and then put the photos back later on so that was that's kind of my safety valve for that particularly because photos are so precious and people really 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 do not want to lose their photographs Almost everything else is negotiable, I find, in my experience of supporting iOS devices. But if you ruin the photographs, and I'm sure many of us have been in situations where we've been at the Genius Bar and somebody sitting along from the bar from you is literally crying in front of the Genius because they've lost you know, precious photographs of their children when they were babies or relatives who are no longer with us. Uh, so photographs are just so precious. And of course, as you know, with photographs, there's literally no way you can recreate them. 
you know, if you lose your music, you can buy it again. You lose your videos, you can buy it again. But if you lose your photographs, they're gone forever. So that's uh, that's what makes that category of data so special to everybody. So camera and photos is likely your number one source of, of large data on your device. But the next category is probably something like cached videos, right? So if you've downloaded movies from the iTunes store or maybe you use Amazon Prime Video or Netflix, it's quite easy to forget that you in those services that you downloaded some of those videos. You know, the difference is maybe a tiny cloud icon versus a tiny computer icon beside a video. And it's hard to forget that you maybe downloaded 10, 20 episodes or something. And that can add up to a significant amount of data. So that is another situation where you're dealing with a small app, large sandbox situation. Now, with something like Netflix, it's quite an easy solution because deleting and reinstalling the Netflix application has no impact because it's a, a cloud-based service. You could just simply delete the application, reinstall it, and um, just sign in again and you'll be back to where you were. You could go in and, you you know, I would probably do this. I, I'm not necessarily saying that I just go in blowing away applications all the time, but instead of going in and finding the download and so on and so on, uh, you could just delete the application and reinstall it and it would be fine. Of course, only for cloud-backed applications like video streaming services, obviously you want to be a bit more careful if those applications have got precious files that you can't recreate. You can also have this situation if you have downloaded a lot of music for offline listening through, say, Spotify or Apple Music, and those will show up in the settings application as well. And in some cases, with the Apple applications like the music and Apple, the videos application as was, or as still is in, in European and places outside North America, um, you can actually delete those videos straight from the settings application. You don't have to go into the app themselves to delete them. So... Don't forget the long tail though. That's the next thing because the headline ones that you see all the time, camera and photos, Netflix downloads. Uh, sometimes, you know, if you're crazy into podcasts like I am, my, my overcast can sometimes take five to eight gigabytes of stuff because I tend to have a, a long queue and I don't delete anything until I've, I've listened to it. So don't forget the long tail though because if you have 25 to 30 applications, each of which eat 300 megabytes of data, and you're on a smallish device, that can add up. You know, I, I've i dealt with a few situations in school where people had installed uh, a large number of small to medium applications, and it was just the sheer number of applications that they had installed that meant that they, um, they were running out of space. It wasn't that they had a large sandbox or anything, but it was a large app, small sandbox situation, and they had just installed so many, none of them were particularly big, but the space eventually was exhausted. So that's something to bear in mind as well. Now, another class of problem that you might run into, which is kind of an unusual one, and sometimes a wee bit hard to diagnose, is what we might call a storage leak in iOS. Now, as I said before, apps are allowed to store files in their sandbox, and that's a fine system and it works most of the time for most applications. But sometimes apps can kind of fail to keep track of files that they create in their sandbox. This is a particular problem for certain kinds of applications. If you're the kind of person who habitually force quits applications all the time on their device, you know, you double press the home button and then you flip away the applications as if uh, you're flipping dollar bills at your friends. Um, that, is, that is a risky thing to do because an application might be working 
And if you kill it dead halfway through an operation, say it's writing out a file and at the end it's going to mark it as purgeable. If you kill that application before it finishes writing out the file and marking it as purgeable, let's say, you're going to have a chunk of data sitting about in your sandbox that nobody can do anything about anymore because the app might have lost track of it because you killed the application and um, there's no way to get back get back to it again. So we, we see this quite a lot in school with apps like Google Drive, for example. Now, Google Drive does a lot of caching of files, but children are impatient and they like to kill apps because it's good fun and it keeps their iPad tidy and so on. And... We often see, you know, the, the Google Drive app appears to have like a very large sandbox for being quite a small app. But if I have, if I go into the Google Drive app and I haven't marked files as offline storage, you know, offline is where it'll download it from Google Drive and store it on your device. I, I see quite a lot of the time people who have a large sandbox in Google Drive, but they don't have any offline files. And like, why is that? And the reason is because Google Drive has been leaking storage possibly as children have been forced quitting the application while it's in operation. Sometimes it could just be because of a bug as well. In that situation, the only thing you can do is delete the application and reinstall it again, because that will forcibly delete the entire sandbox, regardless of whether the application knows that it put a file there or not, and that, and then reinstall the application, and that's a way to recover that. So I, I certainly do that as a a maintenance step sometimes in school when kids have got a really huge Google Drive for no apparent reason, I'll just delete Google Drive and, and have it reinstalled again and that will usually clear that problem up without too much bother. The last category of, of problem is iMessage. And this maybe tends to be more a problem for people's phones than iPads, but still it's an iOS problem. And really what the issue is, is attachments on iMessage threads. Now, individual iMessages are not large. They're just usually text and emojis. But if you are sending you know, links with attachments on there or videos or animated GIFs or anything like that, those can add up you know, over the course of hundreds and thousands of messages. And in iOS 10, there's not really any good way to do that except just deleting the threads that involve those attachments. But in iOS 11 you can use the settings app to review and delete large attachments and old messages in iMessage. And that's something that's going to be quite useful if you are the kind of person who lets, you know, years and years and years of iMessage data accumulate. You can go in there and see, you know, it will say, you could save 197 megabytes by deleting all your old iMessages. You know, on a 256 gig phone, that's probably not worth it. But some people, I'm sure, have much bigger numbers than that, than what I do. So... That's uh, those are just some of the kind of categories of storage problem you might run into in trying to get your devices free and clear in order to update to iOS 11. So the rules. Let's just go back over the rules. Number one, empty storage is wasted money. Trust the algorithms to clear out data that you don't need when you don't need it. Remember the sandbox, the difference between the sandbox and the app. You can always delete an application to solve a lot of problems and then reinstall it from the App Store iOS 11 will bring along offloading apps, which will help in large part because you'll be able to delete the large part of the application and keep the small bit of the sandbox, particularly going to be good for games. But if you do have a problem, first of all, find out what's using the most storage, deal with the biggest one first, and then move on to the next biggest one, and so on and so on and so on. Probably camera and photos is your number one, so strongly consider iCloud Photo Library. Next, look for things like cached videos, other 
uh, large files that aren't prominent in your system, but could be just sitting there eating up a lot of stuff. Don't forget the long tail. If you have hundreds of medium-sized applications, they can all add up to a substantial chunk of your storage, but they'll not come high in your storage list and settings because they're all separate applications, right? So they may come down at the long tail, but just check how long that tail actually is before you say, oh, well, it's just the top two applications that are a problem for me. It might be actually more than that. There is a possibility of storage leaks. Bugs happen. Network interruptions happen. If you find an app that has no obvious reason to have such a large sandbox, it may be occasionally worthwhile just deleting the application and reinstalling it again if that won't cause you to lose too much data. And finally, iMessage is the, the sort of silent data eater, if you like. And of course, because as I mentioned, Apple are taking some steps in iOS 11 to significantly improve that so that that information gets surfaced along with other storage issues and you can take action on iMessage the same way as you can with applications. Let me take a moment to tell you about our sponsor for this show. This episode of Canvas is brought to you by Sanebox. I imagine that every person listening to this show has something they don't like about the email they receive or the features of the app that they use. Sanebox is here to help bridge those gaps and solve those problems. Because unfortunately, it's not practical to just delete all your email. There's important stuff in there you need to deal with, but the problem is it all just looks the same. At a glance at your inbox, it can be difficult to try and decipher which messages need your attention and which can be ignored. Wouldn't it be nice if your email could be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox? Imagine the only email that lands there is stuff you actually need to see, and that is what Sanebox is all about. Sanebox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff to different folders, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you need. And the great thing is that it works on top of your current email setup with any mail app. All the magic happens before you ever see your email. Sanebox also has this great feature called the black hole. All you need to do is move an unwanted email into that folder and you'll never hear from that sender ever again. It's perfect for mailing lists you can't escape from. You can also do things like set up email reminders, snooze your email, all of those modern features. Now, Federico's not with us tonight, but I know Federico is a big user of Sanebox. He loves it, particularly, uh, I know he has a particular pleasure in dropping things into the black hole and being guaranteed never to hear from them again. Uh, they use it at Mac Stories. They, they, um, it helps them deal with a lot of traffic that comes through email for their site. And I know I can speak on Federico's behalf that he is a huge fan of Sanebox and it's well named because it keeps him sane as he can stay in such a busy time, you know, when he's working in these iOS reviews. Uh, things can get a little crazy. His email uh, latency can get high. So anything that he can do to save himself a little bit of bother is is much appreciated. And Sanebox is definitely one of the the products that I know they lean on over at Mac Stories. So to help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we have worked with Sanebox to help you get a great deal. Just go to sanebox.com slash canvas today and you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $20 credit just because you listen to this show. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. Again, that's sanebox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash canvas. Now, just to wrap up the show, I want to talk a little bit about iOS updates. Now, these are another source of storage usage on your device. Now, 
it's not a big deal, right? So <laughs> don't go around trying to turn off iOS updates or block them at your firewall or something like that. The consequences of that would be worse than this problem. But what people, most people don't know is that when Apple release an iOS update, for the first few days, everything goes on as normal. But after a few days, iOS devices will start to automatically download in the background the update package. So that bit where if you're the kind of person like me who the second you see it uh, being mentioned on Twitter, you're in there pressing the software update button. If you're not doing that, your iOS device will eventually start downloading that package so that when you do go there, you can just say install and it's done. Apple really, really, really wants you to keep your iOS up to date. Partly for... Um, reasons relating to the platform, right? It makes sense for Apple and for developers if a huge proportion of iOS users are using the latest version of everything, but also for security reasons. It's, it's very important that whenever there are security updates or security fixes, a huge majority of people need to get that as soon as possible to reduce the target that iOS can be for hackers. So the size of these packages can vary but they are often, at least in some way, proportional to the kind of update distance, if you like, between the version of iOS you're running and the new version. So when iOS 11 comes out, if you're running iOS 9, let's say, you're going to have a big update to do. But updating from, for example, iOS 10.3.2 to iOS 10.3.3 might only be a small update because what Apple does is they send down what are called the Delta updates, which only send you the changes that your particular device needs given your current operating system and the operating system you're going to. So those small intermediate updates, the, the minor revisions, are often quite small by comparison. Now, when iOS 11 hits, iOS 11 changes a lot. So everybody's going to be downloading a big package. I don't know what it is, maybe a gigabyte and a half, two gigabytes in size. But you're going to need to have some clear space on your device to download that package and then install it as well. If your device has downloaded an iOS package that you don't want taking up space, if you're really tight, you can actually delete them from the settings application as well. They do show up as part of that um, collection of applications. You also have an iOS update section in there that you can forcibly delete if you want to by swiping across and choosing delete. But updating iOS over the air is usually the right thing to do for most people. Um, there was a particular problem, if you, if you recall back in the days of iOS 8, there was a problem because iOS 8 was a big package in itself and it needed about 5 gigabytes of free space on a device in order to update itself, which at the time, if you remember back to those days, there was a lot of 8 gigabyte and 16 gigabyte iOS devices kicking about. And I mean, if you have an 8 gigabyte device, you hardly even have five gigabytes free when you take it out of the box. Never mind by the time you've installed all your games and taken a bunch of photos on it. So that actually significantly harmed the adoption rate for iOS 8, um, in the, at least in the early part of its life. So um, since that time, Apple introduced a number of approaches to try and make it easier for people to keep up to date. One of which was Delta updates and keeping the package smaller, but also they worked hard to reduce the amount of space needed on the device to update the device itself. So, and of course, modern devices tend to be a bit larger. You know, not that many people today, I would say, are using eight gigabyte and four gigabyte iOS devices. We're now looking at 16 and 32 and beyond. But back in those days, that was a bit of a problem. Now, as with all software updates, uh, and particularly major updates like iOS 11, it's going to be wise to have maybe one or maybe two 
well not maybe one, definitely one and maybe two backups uh, available to you just in case something goes badly wrong. Now, I can't remember the last time I personally had an iOS update go wrong and I use all the developer betas as well. I'm not somebody who just sticks to release versions. So I would, I'm really, really, really don't want the, the effect of this show to be to discourage people from updating iOS. I'm just saying there are some sensible precautions that one might take before installing a massive brand new uh, operating system update, particularly if you're the kind of person who's going to press it on the first day. So a couple of ways to up, back up your iOS device. Of course, iCloud Backup is the one that most people, I suspect, use and should use iCloud backups are a very convenient set and forget method of making sure that you can recover from a total disaster. Now an iCloud backup is essentially a singular blob of data so that if you back up your whole device, you can restore that to a new device, but you can't go into that backup and tinker with little bits of it and so on. That's not really how iOS backup works. iCloud backup also does not keep data that Apple already has. So in particular, things like apps from the App Store, they're not making a separate copy of those apps just for your backup. What happens is they just record, oh, you had you know Microsoft Word installed from the App Store. When we restore that backup, we'll also reinstall Microsoft Word from the App Store. That can be a little bit of a problem if you have apps on your device that are no longer available in the store and you don't want to lose access to them when you restore your device. Because if that app is no longer available in the store, that restore is not going to work very well. And you may, you may lose access to certain applications. There are other kinds of data that an iCloud backup doesn't touch. In particular, at the moment, health data is one. Uh, if you use the activity tracking and the health data, you potentially could lose that information as well. So iCloud backups are good, but not perfect. But they are very easy to remember to do because all you've got to do is have the Wi-Fi on at night, plug your phone in, and at some point during the night, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., that phone is going to back itself up. The other way to back up an iOS device is using iTunes, and by which I mean at plugging into a Mac and using iTunes there. Now, this is quite this is has for some time been the, the most um, complete way to back up an iOS device. The reason for that is that with an iTunes backup, what you can do is you can actually encrypt the backup on your computer's hard disk, and what that enables Apple to do is to back up and restore things like health data and activity data and passwords and keychains and so on. But also with an iTunes backup, what you can do is even if you've bought apps directly on your device, you can transfer those apps back to the Mac. You can copy them back into the Mac's iTunes library. And then when you restore from the iTunes backup, those apps will just come across the USB cables along with your data. And what that means is if you have old applications that you don't want to lose access to, you can copy them to your Mac, erase, update your device, whatever, and then uh, reinstall as well. Now, you can also, if you want to, update iOS through iTunes on a computer. Now, th that was actually one of the ways in which the iOS 8 update problem was solved was that the recommendation if you had, say, an 8 gigabyte iPhone was to plug it into iTunes and press the update button on iTunes. And what that would do is it wouldn't require there to be that 5 gigabytes of free space. Now, modern iOS updates don't require anything like that. So I strongly encourage you to just use over-the-air updates on the device if you've got, if you're not in a critical storage situation. And if you are in a critical storage situation, I would say 
before you start doing stuff with iTunes, at least think about turning on iCloud Photo Library first and, and getting some relief from probably your biggest problem then, and then look at doing the software update after that. But either way, neither one of those methods will include Apple Pay settings. Apple Pay settings have to be set up every time on a new device. And of course, as we know, Touch ID and presumably Face ID as well for the new iPhone X, that information never leaves the device. It's stored in the secure enclave on the Apple chip and that information cannot be extracted and, and moved away from the device. So um, regardless of whether you back up to iTunes or back up to iCloud, you're going to be setting up Touch ID again on a new device or on a, a device that you may have erased and restored. A couple of other iOS 11 considerations. Now, what I'm about to say is very much uh, a personal view. I'm not saying that it's necessarily something that everybody should do. But if you've been using the public betas of iOS 11 for some time, maybe you were on board with beta 1 or beta 2 as I was, what I like to do when the final version comes out is I like to erase and restore my devices and then set them up from scratch. And the only reason I do that is because over the years, sometimes, like, there are strange behaviors that you see in a device that has been updated all the way through some what were some very rough and very early beta versions all the way through to the final version. I like to kind of wipe the slate clean and start with the released version of iOS 11 and get its behavior and then move on from there, deciding whether or not I'm going to keep on with iOS 11 betas or not. Usually I don't once the, once the major version has come out. Other considerations for iOS 11, one in particular is that iOS 11 is ending support for what are called 32-bit only applications. Now, what this is, is are applications that have probably not been updated in quite a long time. And I work in education, so I know applications that have been updated in quite a long time. That means that if you update from iOS 10 to iOS 11, there may be some apps that you possibly even depend on that will simply not run under iOS 11. And I don't yet know exactly what uh, what kind of warnings you might get beforehand when you do this, but what I know is that on iOS 10, if you go into the settings application, choose general, about, and then look at the application section, that's the, the item in that list that tells you how many applications are installed in your device. If that row in the table has a little arrow, a chevron on the right-hand side, you can tap that row and in there, you'll see a list of all the applications that are currently installed in your iPad that are 32-bit only and will therefore stop working when iOS 11 gets updated. So it's something to be aware of and probably worth doing a little check just to see, do I have any 32-bit only applications? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, and if you use major commercial applications, I would suggest you probably don't have that many. But if you work in something like education or maybe certain enterprise applications, you may want to just double check this before you just go ahead and update to iOS 11. Um, if you want to keep their data, you need to offload that data before you update to iOS 11 because my current understanding is those apps just will not run when you update your device to iOS 11. They'll just be inaccessible after that. So something to bear in mind. As far as I can see, that's my main set of recommendations for management of storage in iOS devices and dealing with updates to major versions. Make sure you got those backups. 
make sure you've got some free space on your device. Many of the people listening to this show, well, you know, you, many of you guys and girls are running uh, much larger devices than 32 gigabytes. You know, we've, we've been in the world of 128 gig devices for a couple of years now. 256 is now a thing as well. Um, and it's not something that is as big a problem as it used to be. But you know what's really interesting is I've uh, erased my devices and updated them over the years is that now that I look at my phone and now my iPad as well, almost everything I use is continuously backed by the cloud. Now, whether that's Keynote and Pages using iCloud Drive to store their files or Google Drive using the Google Drive backend or Google Docs or whatever, or Netflix or Amazon Prime or Apple Music or, or Plex or any of these things, there's hardly any applications on my either my phone or my iPad that if I just pressed erase all content and settings on my device and then started from scratch, that I couldn't actually uh, recreate all my data just by logging into some applications again. Um, so it's interesting how we've moved that way. And I, I think that looking at the, in the long term, I really feel that iOS is, is driving towards a caching model for its local storage. And that's why we're not getting up to, you know, desktop computer class storage in, in devices because more and more and more everything is streaming you know and wh why do you need you know why would you need like a, a terabyte of onboard storage on an ipad yes there will be situations you're you're going on a submarine for months or you're you're going on an arctic trek with no internet but for for people in well-connected reasonably affordable areas of the world that caching is becoming so good and so transparent and streaming is becoming so accessible now that why would you need tons and tons and tons of storage on your iPad? It's interesting. I don't think we're quite there yet, but more and more that stuff is flowing back to the cloud as we work and being loaded from the cloud as we try to access it again. And I think that's a very interesting world to get to. And I'm interested to see how Apple kind of leverage that more App offloading is one of those early features where you see, well, we're starting to blur the boundary between what's installed and what's not because previously either the app was installed or you had to re-download it from the store. Whereas with app offloading, it's sort of there, but it's also going to have to come back from the cloud. So you're starting to see a bit more of that um, uh, model breaking up a little bit in iOS. And I think it's going to be very interesting times to see where that goes over the lifetime of iOS 11 into iOS 12 as well. So before we speak again, iOS 11 will have been released and hopefully it will have been a very smooth and successful upgrade for everybody. I wish you well learning some of its new features. There's tons to love in iOS 11. As you know, if you listen to our multitasking show, there's a couple of bits I still have my own misgivings about, but I'm really excited. I'm loving the new screenshots workflow in iOS 11. I'm really enjoying the files application. I think that's going to be a game changer for productivity. I'm sure Federico and I will do a show about that relatively soon. Federico already did a show about that on one of his other podcasts, um, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And lots and lots of stuff to really enjoy in iOS 11. Multitasking, we'll get there, but um, that's that has been a show for another time, and we'll leave it there for tonight. So you can connect with the show at underscore Canvas FM on Twitter. I'm Fraser Spears. Federico is Vitici. And if I could just give a last reminder for uh, Really FM membership, if you want to support the show financially, you can do that. You can go to really.fm slash membership and you can sign up to become a sponsor of uh, Canvas or you can be a sponsor of all the great shows on Really FM. 
and we very much appreciate your support if you decide to do that as well. So thanks for listening, good luck with iOS 11, and we'll talk to you all next time.